I want to start off tonight. We're going to be talking about one nation under God. Since we are celebrating our independence, our 4th of July coming up this Wednesday. And by the way, there will not be service this Wednesday night. So just want to make mention of that to you. Um, let's turn to the book of Acts. We're going to look at verses seven or chapter 17 and verses 24 to 28 in the Amplified. I don't think we have the Amplified classic, but I'm going to be reading from that. <clears throat> it says, The God who created the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands... And territories. So who has established kingdoms in the earth? This scripture says God has. Who has established nations? This scripture says God has. Nations and territories. You know, through the journals written by men, we have an account of history. And... I guess last year, sometime in September, I talked a lot about Columbus and, and um, what happened when God moved upon him. And if, if you want to get that message, I'm sure that you can order it in the bookstore. But we're going to just um, skip that part and we're going to jump right into uh, the time when Constantine, around 300 A.D., decided that Rome needed to have a change. And part of that change was that he was going to declare it to be um, a place where Christianity would become the religion of Rome. And so he called the bishops together. And he asked them many questions about um, what they were going to put forth as their doctrine. And they were trying to decide whether salvation would come by baptism at birth or death and many other things and they could not decide there was much argument amongst them so he decided that they were just going to take the bible the precious word of god and lock it up and so it would not be available to anyone but priest so no one could read the scriptures for themselves and receive revelation of the scriptures and had to be interpreted for them in their behalf. And so as a result, a lot of corruption came into the church. And we know it too also as the Dark Ages. And then around the 1600s, there was two groups of people who God moved upon. You know, God is always moving in the earth. And he always has a plan. And in our timeline, we see time differently. We see the past we see the present and we see the future. But God stands in time. He stands in the center of time. It's like the hub on a wheel. And he can see the past. And he can see the present. And he can see the future. And so around the 1600s when God began to move on these 
two groups of people. One was called the Puritans and the other was called separatists. And they felt in their heart that there needed to be reform in the Church of England. And so they wanted everything to be done decently in order as per the scriptures. They wanted to return to what the B-I-B-L-E said. And this one group, the Puritans, they wanted to stay within the Church of England and to reform it from the inside out. But the separatists, they knew and they believed that it wasn't going to change. And so they wanted to separate. Well, what the church did is they went ahead and took the Puritans and put them in positions of authority. So that in that position, they were, you know, happy, content. But not so with the separatists. And so because of that, um, they really drew a countless amount of people to their call into what they were believing God was calling them to do. And that became a threat to the church. So they began to persecute the separatists. I mean, they were put in jail, separated from their families, just because they wanted to know about God and his word. They were persecuted, not able to uh, work, and they weren't able to provide for their families. And so there came a time when they felt that they had to leave. So they went to Holland. And when they got to Holland, um, yeah, there was a little more freedom, but not exactly. Because they had to work like 15-hour days to be able to earn a living to meet the needs of their family. And you know, when you're working 15 hours a day, you're not present every day. And that will take a toll on your family. And so it did. And they began to see their youth drifting into worldly ways. But they still had a call of God on them to preach the gospel. Really, that's what the call of God was all about on them. And that call was burning intensely on the inside of them. And so they knew they needed to do something to change the situation. And so they did. They launched off into the, to, out into sea, across the ocean, headed for the new world. Isn't that glorious? Hallelujah. And so they left England on December 20th, 1606. And they landed on Virginia Beach, the first landing, April 26th, 1607. Now, I've got a lot of research from these books. This one here is called Revival Fire. We have it in the bookstore. This one here is called The Light and the Glory. We have it in the bookstore. This one's called A Blaze for God. We have it in the bookstore. This one's called First of All. And this is with Billy Bram. We have it in the bookstore. Um, I want to read from her book. I'm going to turn to page 22 here. And I'm just going to read the account of when the settlers, the pilgrims, landed. It says the settlers landed on the shores of Virginia on April 26, 1607. Before permitting the colonists to continue inland, Reverend Robert Hunt required that every person wait before God in a time of personal examination 
and cleansing. Now, don't forget they had just crossed the ocean. And I'm telling you, if you read the accounts, I don't have time to go into it all. It was treacherous. I mean, these ships that they were on, the deck was the size of a volleyball field. And they were cram-packed with people below. And they were eating bread that had worms in it. You can imagine the stench from everyone being down there. I mean, that, that moms, especially, and dads would bring their children. And then they, they, they had to deal with the fierceness of the storms in the ocean. It's amazing, the stories. But again, I don't have time to go into that. But it goes on to say about Reverend Hunt requiring that every person wait before God in a time of personal examination and cleansing. Three days later, on April 29, 1607, the expedition led by Parson Hunt went ashore to dedicate the continent to the glory of God. Amen? This continent. They carried one item with them from England for the purpose of giving glory to God in the endeavor. It was a rough-hewed wooden cross. As the party landed on the windswept shores, they erected the seven-foot cross, it was an oak cross, in the sand. Raising his hands to heaven, Reverend Robert Hunt claimed the land for country and king and consecrated the continent to the glory of God. From these very shores, he declared, the gospel shall go forth, not only to this new world, but to the entire world. Now, this is the very place where they landed that all these years later, CBN, that's Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcasting Network is located on that very spot where the colonists first officially landed and acted out. And what is happening today? The gospel is being preached just as they declared it would be around the world from that very spot. Hallelujah. That is, that's, that's awesome, isn't it? And so what they did is, you know, other, other um, ships uh, followed after the Mayflower, the Mayflower 2. <clears throat> and we don't, again, have time to go into the details of that. But what they began to do is they would establish churches. And then around the churches, they would build towns. So the churches came first and the towns were built around the churches. And people had such an intimate relationship with God. It was upward with him, and then therefore it could be horizontal. Vertical with him, and horizontal with other men. It just overflowed from their relationship with God. But as time passed, what began to happen is people began to move further out, away from the towns, away from the churches. And we started to see a wane in people's commitment to God's plan, will, and purpose for them. You know, the enemy's at work. And he was working back then, too. The same spirits, because spirits don't die, were working back then. And so 
something needed to happen. We needed an awakening to waken up the people. And so there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Does that name sound familiar, John Edwards? That's Pastor Brenda's dad's name, John Edwards. But this man lived back in 1730. And between 1730 and 1740, um, again, people had left their their first love of God. And God began to move on this pastor and his wife. And they began to pray. Do you know that prayer always precedes an awakening? And we're in that time, in that season of the prayer. Amen? Because there's about to be another great awakening. There's been many in this nation and, and throughout the world. And Revival Fire tells you a lot about those awakenings. And so, um, again, God raised them up. And I want to read to you um, a little bit about what Academia said about the awakening. And that's, let's see, page 28... It says, what happened in response to prayer affected the whole of continental America and birthed what even academia calls the Great Awakening. While I was doing what the Lord told me to do, this is Billy speaking, study, during our interrupted prayer meeting in 2008, I found that a contemporary Harvard professor wrote that one cannot understand the uh, colonial society that brought about America's revolution without a study of the Great Awakening. At the time of my study, Longmeadow, that's Massachusetts Historical Society, website carried an article entitled The Great Awakening and Its Effects on Society and Religion of the Connecticut River Valley. And it goes on to say the Great Awakening was a religious movement during the 1730s and 40s in which itinerant ministers presented powerful messages of salvation which provided early Americans with a greater sense of nationality. One of the most nobly point, noble points of origin was in the uh, Connecticut River Valley under the leadership of Jonathan Edwards. The Great Awakening brought about a change of values and affected uh, politics and daily life. These attitudes were the beginning of a sense of independence and the equality that would set the stage for the American Revolution. This is academia. This is in the records. This is what it says. And as the spirit of independence was proclaimed in the colonies by the Declaration of Independence, it was often the local clergy who rose to read the congregations the words that the document would speak and would also spark that of the independence of America. Hallelujah. And so um, Jonathan Edwards was a gentleman who um, he was more studious and he was one that wasn't really given to speech even though he was the minister he wasn't really given to utterance and ministry but when he began to pray something began to happen and he was a man who he didn't see very well and so he would hold his notes up before him in front of his face and read to the congregation They couldn't see his face. They didn't have, you know, direct communication with his body language. But as he began to read, the anointing of God came on him. 
And it began to move through the town. And there was this one young lady, and she was known as the best company keeper that the town had. And you know what that means. She, she was a prostitute. And she heard the word and she got saved. And when people saw the glorious transformation in her life, it drew them to Christ. They knew there had to be a God. And her testimony sparked um, just revival in that place. And the awakening and people came to Christ. I mean, the whole towns were changed. Not just one or two people. The bars were closed up. People were praising God in the streets, giving glory to God, speaking the word. I mean, it changed the whole complexion of the country. And so he was one person that God used. And then God raised up another preacher. And that person's name, that minister's name was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was somebody who was from England who had attended Oxford. He, he hung out with the Wesleys. He actually joined them. And in joining them, he decided to join their club. Their club was called the Holy Club. And the Holy Club was trying to figure out how you could be holy. So what they tried to do to be holy was they would walk and they would walk with their faces down. Oh boy. <laughs> would that make them holy? And then they would do things like they would refrain from food and they'd just eat like, you know, mush. And, and he, it, they went on for so long that that made them sick. And they tried so many different things. They fasted. They gave up this. They gave up that. At one point, Whitfield got so sick and his friend John Wesley, who was quite um, a jovial guy, came to see him. He, was a, he lived on the happy side of life. And so he came to see him, and he was so sick, and he told him a joke. And they started laughing. And as a result of that, he decided he was going to give up laughter to be holy. So he was trying with all of his heart to find a way to become holy, the way of salvation. And the thing of it was, of course, he needed a revelation, which he received. He received from um, a, a lady minister and ministered the words of life to him. By faith are you saved through grace. And he got revelation of it. And he fell on his bed and he cried out, Oh, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst. And God moved on him. And then God began to use him. He used him over there. And then he came to America. He actually made 13 trips. 732 days in the ocean. Covering 70,000 miles. Amen. He established churches. He established orphanages. But the thing about him is when he got here and he began to preach the things that he had in his heart that God had so shown him. He preached that all men are created equal. This was this is his message everywhere he went. All men were created equal. He preached salvation by grace through faith, not of works. He preached that we were one nation under God. He was the one that actually coined that phrase about one nation under God, uniting the colonies. See, they were separate colonies. Remember the 13 colonies? They were separate. 
They weren't one nation. But he called for that in his preaching. And as a result, the, the churches didn't like it. And so they told him, you can't come to our church and preach. So what was he to do? I'll tell you what he did. He decided to have, hold meetings outside. And God had given the, him this amazing voice. You know, Benjamin Franklin, who became a very good friend of his, he figured out that he could be heard, and he did it mathematically, by 30,000 people in the outdoors. And everywhere he went, he had tens of thousands of people that would come to hear him preach. It was an awakening. It was a move of God. Where God was declaring this is to be one nation under God. It was prophetic. That all men are created equal. That salvation comes by grace through faith. And he declared it everywhere he went. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so the great awakening, it, grew, it drew large crowds. And it changed the hearts of men. It actually prepared men's hearts for the, the Revolutionary War. Because it was stirring something up in them. Something that God was depositing in there. The spirit of faith. Amen? And so um, the Revolutionary War was to follow the people. And again, it was to, this was to prepare their hearts for it. You know, today if I asked you who's responsible for what we enjoy today as we're celebrating our nation's birth, what would we say? Who would we say? What people would we mention? Probably George Washington, probably Jefferson, Ben Franklin, maybe John Hancock, John Adams. But I'm going to tell you something. If you ask them, and when they were asked, and they were, John, John Adams, for example, he gave the names of these men. Men who God used in the Great Awakening. Reverend Samuel Cooper. Reverend Jonathan Mayhew. Reverend George Whitfield. Reverend Charles Chancy. Reverend Richard Allen. Reverend Absalom Jones. Reverend John Morin. Reverend Lamuel Hayes. Reverend Harry Hoosier. Now these were men of God. And the last five, na five names that I mentioned were black preachers. Ha Reverend Harry Hoosier, does that sound familiar at all? Harry Hoosier? Well, he was one of the greatest orators. Benjamin Rush, who if you don't know who he is, you need to study who he is. He was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And I believe he was one of six who actually signed both the Declaration and the Constitution. But I'm telling you, he said he was one of the greatest orators of all times. And um, God used him to go and preach. And they called it the Great Frontier, the Wild Frontier. And the Wild Frontier was simply New York, Connecticut, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky. Now, Indiana was one of those states that I mentioned. What was the name of this black evangelist? His name was um, Harry Hoosier. 
Do you think most people in Indiana know that the, that the, that their state is referred to and named after a black evangelist preacher that was part of the Great Awakenings? Probably not. Glory to God. I'm telling you. You know, there was actually 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And again, six of them signed both the Declaration and the Constitution. Out of 56, 29 of them held seminary or Bible degrees. Now, today that isn't what we hear so much, is it? We hear the opposite, that they were atheists, that they were this, they were that. Oh, no, no way. These men were men of God. John Adams spoke about the opening prayer of Congress, and he described it this way. So profound was the prayer. When they opened in prayer, they just didn't say a little prayer like, you know, God bless our nation. No, they went on to pray for hours. The first time that they met, they prayed two hours. And after they finished praying, they studied four chapters of the Bible. And God spoke to them out of Psalms uh, 35. And John Adams wrote back to his wife, Abigail, you must read this. You must tell your father about this. The fa- his, her father was the pastor of the church. God has so spoken to us. And later on, they saw why God spoke to them that way and the fruit of that time of praying. And what they first did is they declared a time of prayer and fasting for all the people in the land. There was three million people in the land at that time. And three million people were called to a day of prayer and fasting to seek God. Hallelujah. On September 17, 1772, the Continental Congress, again, was the day that they had met, and they had two chaplains assigned to them, our Congress. The Declaration of Independence gives 27 reasons why we, were to, we needed to separate from Great Britain. And those reasons listed said simply this, that our rights were violated. Whatever Britain did, we had to do. If they were Catholic, we had to be Catholic. We didn't have freedom because we were citizens of Britain. The rights that are listed and set forth were preached from American pulpits. All the rights that were listed were the things that the preachers had been preaching on. Hallelujah. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. The influence that the gospel had that people don't know was a part of our Declaration of Independence. It's filled with scripture. Our constitution is filled with scripture. We just don't recognize it. Amen? But you see, these were men of God, and because they were men of God, that's the language they spoke. And that's the language that came out of them because that's what was in them. The language of the Spirit, the language of the Word of God. Hallelujah. On September 12, 1782, prior to the Revolutionary War, it was illegal to print English Bibles in our nation, in America. Yes, it was illegal. 
because we didn't have permission from the Brit- Brits. So Congress was responsible once we were declared independent from Great Britain. The first thing they, that they did was they were responsible for printing a new edition of the Bible in English. Hallelujah. Now it gets better. You know why they printed that Bible? Well, of course they wanted the Bible in the hands of the people. And many of the founders actually did have a part in establishing the printing of massive Bibles and getting them out into the people's hands. But the reason why they wanted to do this is because they they said it was a neat edition of holy scriptures for the use in our schools. First Bible printed in English. It was a neat edition of the holy scriptures for the use in our schools. And that's the way that it was all the way up until June 5th, 1963. People don't realize that, but that is the way it was. Some states, it was optional, but most states had the reading of the word in the morning. They used the Bible as text until 1963. When a gentleman from a Unitarian... Universalists, you talked about that this morning with that spirit on them, decided they didn't want their child to be under the influence of the Bible. So they took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that no longer could the Bible be read in school. 1963. That wasn't the way it was designed. (laughs) You know, the very article that secured our independence and liberty starts with these words. In the name of the most holy, undivided trinity. I mean, if you read through all of this stuff, it's just amazing. Amazing, the language, again, that was used. By 1815, our Congress had called about 1,400 times for prayer and fasting from our nation. They would set aside and dedicate days for 1,400 times by 1815. On June 28, 1787, Ben Franklin, who again was one of those one out of six, or one of the six who signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, he was about 81 years old. And that was pretty old back then because the average age, uh, uh, the average age that people lived to was 35. Wow. Yeah. So he was 81 years of of age, and of course the senior statesman, and he was addressing the Congress. There was 13 states that had come together, and they were trying to ratify the Constitution. And of course, you know, they all had differences of opinion. New York had their way, you know, Connecticut had their opinion. So they all were, as is today, you know, impassioned about the way that they, they thought it should be. And the, dele- they were, the delegates were beginning to get very um, weary in that process, as we can see that it is today. And so uh, John Hancock was about to head back home to New York, and other ones were about ready to leave, and nothing had been established. And So I want to read to you what Ben Franklin did. He stood up and he said this. 
Again, they were trying to figure out how to have a federal government. Now, this has been Franklin, and people say he wasn't religious, but he was affected deeply and greatly by his relationship with George Whitfield. And he was a man of God. The church you can visit there um, with his pew on it, and George and Martha Washington as well. But he said this, The small progress we have made after four or five weeks close attention and continual reasoning with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last... Does that sound like our immigration situation today? Um, Our different uh, sentiments on almost every question, several on the last producing as many no's as yeas, is, um, and I'm sorry, because he's speaking in, I guess, a different, you know, methinks, a melancholic proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own rot of political wisdom, since we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to the ancient history of our models of government and have examined the different forms of those republics which have formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. We have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when we, um, when to us, how has it happened? Sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the father of lights to illuminate our understandings. Have you ever been there? You're going around the mulberry bush about whatever it is that you're trying to decide something about. And all of a sudden it dawns on you. Pray! And that's what he was saying. Sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, We were sustainable of danger. We had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. You know, as you said this morning, Pastor Tom, by signing this, they were signing their death warrant but they believe God for protection. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future nation. And we have now forgotten that this powerful friend, have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? Okay. I have lived, sir, a long time And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? 
We have been assured, sir, in the scarce writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little um, particle local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing upon our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Do we need this today? Andrew Jackson said this, The Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. In closing, I have two more quotes I want to read to you because, I, again, just bringing it home. This first one was by Benjamin Russ. And again, he was one of the signers. He says, Not only... Hope of salvation is the infinite transition love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This one here is um, by uh, Jonathan... Uh, Winterspoon. I entreat you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other. Acts 4.12 If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, if you are not clothed with the spotless robe of his righteousness, you must forever perish. These are the men that God used to establish this nation. One nation under God. Indivisible. With liberty and justice for all. The quote you gave this morning, Patrick Henry, where he talked about that, you know, we all are to have the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you know just in those 11 sentences, there's Um, or 14 sentences, there's 11 passages of scriptures. Hallelujah. These things need to be spoken to not only ourselves, but to our children, to our youth, to our college age. Amen. See, would you hear this on the campus that you're at? 
No, you wouldn't. So we've got to find out for ourselves. Amen. Oh, Father, we so thank you for this precious nation. This one nation under God that you have established, that you raised up for purpose to be the light of the world. From these very shores, from this very place, even as they first declared the gospel would go forth around the world from this nation. And so it has. And so it shall. Father, we pray. Lord, we come before you. And we humble ourselves. And we repent on behalf of our nation, And we ask you to heal our land. We ask you to visit it again. We ask for another great awakening. We've been praying much about it, Lord. And we're working with heaven. Thank you, Father, that you... That you have ways that are higher than our ways. You have thoughts that are higher than the thoughts of man. And we must turn to you in this hour. To establish, Lord, what is needed. To receive your guidance. That you help us to continue to build this great nation. That we may fulfill that plan, will, and purpose that you have for us. And so we stand, not divided, but united, united in purpose, united in heart, united with your word, united in you, trusting and believing, Lord, for breakthroughs in our nation, for peace, for a spirit of peace and a spirit of unity. For us to come together and to agree on those things that we can agree about, Lord. And to petition heaven to help with other things, Lord. Even as they did at the beginning of our nation. Even as they grow weary, Lord. Because they had passions that were different. Oh, but they stayed with it. And they stayed in prayer. And they stayed before heaven. They stayed before you. And so, Lord, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for this nation? Mm. Oh, arise and shine, United States. Shine with the glory of God. Shine with the light of the gospel. Shine, Robo Sabrabakele di Bravoco. Shine, Remo Cohore Batitititete. And declare. <laughs> oh, Father, may our eyes receive revelation. May our hearts be open. For that is truly a holy day when men's hearts are opened and when they receive revelation of who you are, revelation of your word, revelation of the purpose that you have for them.
And you do have one, Lord. For each and every person, there is purpose. There is a plan. A plan for their life, Lord. Thank you for connecting them to it. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to yield our tongues. United with your word. Thank you, Father, for a spirit of unity. Even as this nation began, so shall it be fulfilled with a spirit of unity. Do you believe it? Do you declare it? So do I. Amen. Is there more than two of us here? Then God's going to use. Amen. Our prayer. The effectual, fervent, righteous, the prayer of the righteous one. Are we righteous? Are we ruling? Amen. It makes tremendous empowerment available, dynamic in its working. And there are people all over this nation. All over this nation. Who are petitioning heaven. So let's just join in on that. And let's just connect our hearts with the heart of God. And let's not be divisive. If you disagree, that's okay. You can disagree with one another. But don't be disagreeable with the spirit of strife and division. Because you see, the enemy is after our unity. If he can divide us, he can conquer us. But I'm telling you, it's when they were in one accord, when they were in unity, that what? The power of God fell. If we want to see the power of God fall in our nation, we're going to have to walk in that place of unity, first and foremost with his word, and secondly with one another. Amen? Loving one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, believing the best about one another. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God.